I'd like to add my words of welcome to those already given, especially to any of you who are visiting. And Mike has very kindly given us a brief resume of what we're doing during the summer uh, weeks in prayer, waiting prayer. We all hate waiting. And this morning, Wendy and I, as part of our daily Bible reading and prayer time together before we came out, we read Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day of sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. God is good all the time. That's so true. So very true. Father, we pray to you, you will receive our prayers already sent up. Holy Spirit, fall on us. Cleanse our hearts and minds to listen to what you would say to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Very near the beginning of his life of ministry, Jesus took himself up into a mountain to pray and talk with his Father. His purpose for going up the mountain that night was that he might choose 12 of those who were following him to become what he would call apostles, sent ones. And we get a list of those Simon, James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Andrew, Philip, other disciples are listed, including Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And we read that Jesus, having gone up on the mountainside, called to him those he wanted, and they came to him, and he pointed twelve that they might be with him. The reading that my senior pastor laid down for this evening, uh, this morning, came from another gospel. And I asked, please, at the beginning of the week, could we change the reading from uh, Mark's gospel actually to Matthew? So Michael sent round an email to about a hundred people in the church saying, we're changing the reading for one word, and he put an exclamation mark after that. I thought, you cheeky so-and-so. <laughs> but it's true. There is one word in this passage which to me is absolutely critical. He chose them that they might be with him. That was the word I wanted included. This was the first reason out of three or so that Jesus gave for choosing those disciples. And for three and a half years, 
Those disciples did exactly that. They came to know this man, Christ Jesus. They walked with him. They listened to his teaching, that given privately to them and that given to the crowds. They walked with him. They talked with him. They watched his miracles. But all the time he wanted them with him. Right at the very end of his ministry, as Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, after the Last Supper, Judas Iscariot, having already gone out of the room to betray Jesus, Jesus asked his disciples to be with him. But the big meal late that evening, together with the wine that they'd drunk, and the horrendously deep and heavy, difficult atmosphere that the Lord Jesus Christ had created at that last summer, usually a great time of celebration. They left there and went over down the valley of Kidron and up the other side to the Mount of Gethsemane. And there it got even worse. He left Eight of them took James, Peter, and John with him a little further on, and he began to be sorrowful in the extreme. They'd never seen anything like this, and he pleaded that they would be with him. And what did they do? They slept. How could those mightily privileged Men had gone to sleep. And he comes back and he says, Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? How could these disciples, who'd been so privileged, leave Jesus at this particular time? Peter, James, and John had been on the mountain of transfiguration. And they'd seen Jesus in his heavenly glory. <coughs> and Moses and Elijah joining him, chatting away with Jesus. It's a good question. How did they know it was Moses and Elijah? I'll leave that one with you. Fantastic situation. Unique. They'd been in a private bedroom, these three men with Jesus. And a little girl who was dead. And her father, the pride of her, his father, his eye. And Jesus brought this little girl back to life. Talitha Kumi, little girl, get up. Wow. What a privilege. How many here, please, put your hand up, if you've been in a doctor's surgery, someone's dropped down dead, and, and the doctor walks out and says, get up. Uh, any, uh, no. What a privilege. And now at this critical moment, he wants these three men to be with him. What of the suffering of Christ in the garden? 
My dad would never let any one of his children say they were in agony. Oh, I've hurt my foot, I'm in agony. Don't use that word, dad would say. Only one person suffered agony, and you know nothing about agony. I was only about seven or eight. But I want to tell you, I've found great difficulty in using that word agony ever since. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, yes, he was struggling against the agony of what was going to come to him tomorrow physically. But I think that meant absolutely nothing to him in comparison with the agony of being separated from his father. In the early years of my time as a clergyman, I was speaking at a midweek Bible reading at which the vicar and his wife were present. Well, it was actually in the vicarage. And I said the agony of Jesus was to be separated from his father because his father turned his back on him. And afterwards, I went out like a good curate. Uh, where's Adam? And, and helped with the washing up. And I was helping the vicar's wife. And she stood back for a moment and she said, don't let me ever hear you saying that God turned his back on Jesus. Never, she said. I didn't even say, oh. But you know, without that fact, you and I would not be here this morning because our God and Heavenly Father hates the sin that you and I commit, whether thought, word, or deed. And that bitter anger fell on Jesus for you and me. God had said, the soul that sins will die. And you and I can look forward to eternal life because Jesus died and took the punishment of my sin upon him. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? So wrote Jeremiah in the book called Lamentations. It follows the prophecy of Jeremiah near the end of the Old Testament. Look around and see, is there any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted on me, that the Lord brought on me in the day of his fierce anger? God was furious. And those words have been beautifully put to music by Stainer in an oratorio called The Crucifixion. And God went through agony in Jesus in the garden. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And having wrung his heart out in prayer before God, he returns to his three companions and finds them asleep again. So the thing that we can learn, I think, uppermost 
from Jesus's agony in the garden is the power of prayer. It didn't deliver the Lord from his suffering. Whenever you think you've got prayers that God hasn't answered the way you think he ought to have done, remember this one. But it did deliver Jesus through that suffering. It's mentioned five times in the short passage in the New Testament that was read to us. The man who had said, I am the life was about to die. The man who had said, I am the way, was about to surrender control of his life to others. The man who had said, I am the truth, was about to suffer the ignominy of a false trial with lies. Jesus prayed, and he desired his disciples to pray. He was about to die, and Peter, James, and John hadn't a clue what lay in front of them the next day. Pray. I have to say that I have never ever sat through anyone all night who was dying. The nearest I can come to that is sitting with about 180 people through the night. In fact, I was at the, the front end of a tube where we were traveling across the Atlantic. On my left was my captain, I was his co-pilot, and behind us was the flight engineer. We'd come from Los Angeles all the way to London, about ten and a half hours flying in a Boeing 707. And um, when it was about four o'clock in the morning, I guess, and we were somewhere south of Iceland, I, I came to with a, a shudder, thinking, crumbs, I've been asleep. And I turned to my captain and said, sir, I'm awfully... It's as far as I got, because he was asleep too. So I then turned around to the engineer and I said, hey, look at... I didn't get any further, because he was asleep as well. I'd talked to you for about an hour and a half afterwards about flight safety, so don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> but I know what it was like to be asleep when I should have been awake. Jesus gave his disciples a very good reason for prayer, so that you will not fall into temptation. God will never take temptation away from you, but he will give you the strength to live up under it and through it victoriously for Jesus. <coughs> Amazingly, when Jesus was at the Last Supper, he knew what was going to happen. We read this. While they were still in the upper room, Simon, Simon, Jesus said, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, 
but I have prayed for you, singular, you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And then Peter replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you will deny three times that you even know me. Jesus knew that was going to happen. But I have prayed for you, Jesus said. Isn't that lovely? And this is what that chap Peter wrote a few years later. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Attitude. Prayer. Because whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Peter, I prayed for you that when you turn back, you will strengthen your brethren. So what? For you and me this morning, on the 19th of August, 2018. What can we learn from this passage, waiting prayer, the night watch? I never had the privilege, as I said before, or the joy of sitting with someone through a whole night before they died. My darling Wendy did, not all night. A chap called Alan. He'd been a farmhand who lived in the cottage opposite us when we were in the vicarage. Alan was dying of lung cancer. And she sat with him for hours. He died the next morning. About two months ago, I guess it was, we were walking along the seafront. And there were some four lads coming in the opposite direction, and at least three of them were smoking. And Wendy said, excuse me. I thought, oh no, what now? <laughs> she stopped these four guys in their tracks and said, you shouldn't be smoking. <sighs> Crumbs. Talk about pavements opening up and Two of those boys went on, couldn't care less, but two of them stopped. And they said, thank you, miss. I was gonna jump in and correct them. Actually, she's missus, but I didn't. Thank you, miss, for telling us that. And he put out his cigarette. I don't know if he ever took up another one. I was in Exeter when my father was terminally ill in a nursing home in Eastbourne. I'd been speaking for Missionary Aviation Fellowship before Wendy and I went out to East Africa with them. And I had a phone call with my brother in Exeter that night, and, and he said in Eastbourne that that is failing, Joe. But, but, but don't rush home. Just come as far as Ferndown near Wimborne, which was Wendy's home, and halfway to Eastbourne. 
which we did. And we got into Ferndown about 11 o'clock at night. The next morning, my brother phoned me and he said, John, Dad slipped away in the night. I wasn't even there for my father's last few hours. But he was a great man of prayer and faith, and I look forward to seeing him again one day. So I haven't been in this experience myself. So what are the lessons for me as well as for each one of us? Three, spend time with Jesus. You may look at yourself and be surprised, but Jesus longs, longs for you to spend time with him. You are that precious to him. Secondly, cultivate an ongoing prayer life with Jesus. Wherever you are, whatever is the situation you're in, good or bad, share it with him. Chat with the Lord over anything and everything in your life. There are these lovely words near the end of Paul's letter to the Colossians. Three times in the first chapter and three times in this chapter, he mentions prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Don't go to sleep at the controls. Pray for us. Spend time with Jesus, cultivate an ongoing prayer life, and thirdly, be there. when Jesus wants you to share with someone, be it through the night hours of waiting for death or waiting for anything else. May the Lord encourage us with the fact that he longs for us to be in his presence, sharing our lives with him so that when the appropriate time comes, he can use us. Amazing. Amen.